Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now we continue our journey we've been on over the past couple of weeks through four of what we're calling the big F's of life. We've looked at failure with Steve Roy a couple of weeks ago, forgiveness with Everett Worthington last week, issues and especially powerful stories well worth catching on the podcast page of our Open House website. Now tonight, freedom. Trish Jenkins is an entrepreneur, wife, mother and former prisoner. One small decision on what seemed like a great investment opportunity saw Trish on the wrong side of the law and ultimately an eight-month jail sentence in Queensland. But in the darkest places, she found treasure and ultimately true freedom. She found inner strength to make a difference not only in her own life, even in jail, but also in the lives of murderers and drug addicts around her. Trish's Christian faith did not waver and in fact only became stronger as she used a bad situation to inspire and motivate others. Two books and three years later, her work continues outside prison doors and Trish is using her painful experiences to spread God's love and she joins us on Open House. Trish, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you with us. Trish, most of us would say that you were a normal Australian woman living a normal life if I'd said to you years ago, Trish, one day you'll end up in jail, what would you have said to me? Oh, there's, there's no way I could comprehend how that could happen. <laughs> I was a very conservative, very straight person. And uh, my, I was very black and white at the time. So it, it amazes me. If I couldn't prove what had happened, no one would believe me. So you were proceeding along with life as quite a successful investor. Yes, I was. And the thing is, when you're successful, other people want to do what you do. Yes. Now, that was all right when it came to property because my husband and I were very successful property investors and there wasn't a lot of cash flow in property. And so I was looking for other things to do. And I was introduced to a fellow who was a currency trader who was returning interest on private loans. And we loaned him some money and that went very well. And he said to me, I don't want people calling me all the time. I don't have time can they talk to you and then they can give you the money, you give it to me and I'll pay you the interest each month and you farm it out to everyone. It went very well for a year and a half and then suddenly he stopped paying. It was my job to tell everyone that we were not getting paid again. That was one thing but then he did it again the following month and I had to tell them what he was telling me and that the markets were down and that he needed to compound our balances. And then by the third month he said he couldn't do it again and I just basically cracked under pressure and I just said to him look I've got this bit of money that's come in um, do you think just for this month we could use that to pay everybody and give them some relief and it'll give you some relief take the pressure off so that you'll get back on track for next month and he said all right let's do that and that's what I did and that was wrong and I didn't want to be one of these people who were secretive and held back and acted all superior and smug and, you know, because I'm such a good person, God's blessed me. Uh, I just wanted everybody to, to prosper. And we were financing a number of ministries each month with the um, returns that we were getting. The seriousness of it came to the fore when I was invited for an ASIC interview, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, and I was there to tell them what I knew about him. And I said, well, this is what's been going on. This is what I did to try and fix it. What do we do now? And they said, you did what? 
and I was advised to go into voluntary uh, administration, liquidation. All our properties were sold up and uh, we lost our home. So the offence was 2005. So up until 2007, we just watched all our assets get sold off. In 2007, I was served with papers charging me with fraud because what I had done, people had given me money to give to this fellow and instead I had given it to the investors and that was wrong and that was fraud. Uh, I didn't sort of see it that way at the time. I didn't realise how serious it was. And that was really, really frightening because they said to me I could get anything from a fine up to what I got, which was a custodial sentence. And that was really, really frightening. And so it took a year and a half of toing and froing with lawyers uh, until January 2009, and that's when I got my sentence. And you're sitting in the dock as a criminal... Yes. Can you tell us what that experience was like sitting there? Oh, it was frightening. I was shaking, I was pale, and flashbacks of uh, the program Law and Order and every every courtroom movie you've watched um, and the bad guys over there, and I'm thinking, hang on, that's my role, that's me. I'm I'm the bad guy. I'm 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 sitting here, and the whole world and the and the law and officialdom is declaring that I'm bad. It felt like what I imagined Judgment Day to be like. This nice Christian woman who'd been <laughs> sustaining nice Christian ministries through this money. Yes, yes. They'd been advised that I might get two or three months, you know, like I might get six months, which will be reduced down to two or three for pleading guilty. But ultimately it was two and a half years suspended after eight months. Correct. And then I switched into this mode of, almost like observation and I can only compare it to if someone close to you has died and you have funeral arrangements to make and you kind of go on this autopilot where you're observing things yes. and you'll do your crashing and your grieving later. It's almost an out-of-body kind of thing. That's how it yeah. felt and I guess that's a safety mechanism that our mind creates but I was taken through a door that was in the wall and and it was a very different look on the other side of that. It was the corridor and the handcuffs came on and they were heavy and I just thought, oh my goodness, this just can't be happening. Sure. So you arrive at the Brisbane Roma Street Watch House. Yes. And you meet Amanda. Tell us about Amanda, Trish. Oh, you know, God is so good. He just puts people in your path that, that help you along the way. She was able to tell me what it would be like and that this was the worst it would be and that it would get better from there once we were taken out to the jail. And she was a respectable girl, hmm. well-educated, nice family. A lot of normal people in jail. Well, you know, they're all there kind of normal. Yes. Um, but, yeah, a lot of respectable people. But you uh, would have said you were normal before that too. Well, I would have. Hmm. Certainly normal in a church sense, normal conservative. Yeah. But everyone can have an error in judgment. You can be driving in your car and you adjust the radio, you swerve off and you kill someone, you'll go to jail. So you find yourself in the jail mm. after that weekend. Tell me about that experience. I was in with all of the different women and I was just really surprised that they didn't all look like what I expected criminals to look like. They weren't all scary. Some of them were, for sure, but a lot of them looked very, very normal and that was surprising. Trish, where do you say God was during that time? Well, it's a funny thing because God was very, very close 
when you're in strife, you pray, you know, more than you normally do. And the thing about adversity, Lee, is that if your adversity is bad so that you think, I'm going to walk away from God and I don't want him anymore because this is just too tough, then your adversity is not bad enough. This was way too serious for me to risk doing that. I was in a situation where I needed him desperately and he honoured that and he showed up and I decided that I had to go through this his way and inside me I had things I could offer to these women and words of comfort, words of encouragement and I didn't feel sorry for myself because when I heard their stories I thought there but for the grace of God go I. Now I was in jail for sure but some of them had been bound up from the time they were born. I just wanted to rescue them. (laughs) And this is where, in a funny kind of way, even in custody, freedom comes in. Well, it did. And, you know, I I prayed for anything that moved. Uh, And they thought I was a bit odd, (laughs) uh, which is fair enough. Yes. Uh, But, I mean, there was a chapel service where a lady gave a testimony and and everybody goes to chapel or who's allowed to um, because there's only so many that they can fit. But they go whether they believe or not because it's a diversion. It's, there's very little to do, so there's a lot of boredom. And uh, I was there and this lady gave a testimony and I was asked to pray for someone. And I prayed for her and uh, look, God showed up and she fell down. She was so touched by the Holy Spirit that she collapsed. And uh, it freaked out some of the girls and I was hauled onto the carpet by the block supervisor and he just went through me like a dose of salts and he, he just was incredibly angry. And he said, um, you are not allowed to pray for anybody. You just you can't force your religion down anyone's throat. I'm thinking, who's forcing? And I was also thinking, and I didn't say this, but I thought, gosh, I walk through sounds of you know the profanity and everything that's, that I'm forced to listen to, but, but I'm the threat here. Yes. And I went back to the block, and of course they all wanted to know what, what happened, what happened, what happened, because it was a big drama. And I said, uh, I can't tell you. Oh, you have to tell, you have to tell. No, I'm not allowed to. I'm a, I, I can't talk to you. I, I can't talk to you about Jesus, and I'm not allowed to pray for you. <gasps> what? You know, and, and of course some of them, have that, they're not believers necessarily, but they like that you care, and, and they hate that someone else has restricted anybody. Because, you know, suddenly I was on their side because I'd been in trouble. And it made my prayers, it actually gave them more credibility. Did they warm to you? Yeah, they did then because I'd got in trouble. So there was a bit of a bonding sort of a thing going on. But also as you reached out to them with a sense of care and and love ultimately and, Mm. and extending that sense of freedom. When you reach out to someone and you take their hand and you cry with them, and you just and I had nothing that I could do physically for them. I had no power. I had no money. I could do anything, but I could at least care and tell them that they ma- there was th- that they mattered. There was one girl. She was crying on the floor and in the yard outside. It's a concrete yard with a cage around us. And I asked her what was wrong, and she said um, that she was told when she gets out, she's not going to be given her children back from family services. And I took her hand and I said, look there's nothing I can do for you but I want you to know that you're not nothing you do matter and my God loves you and I'm not allowed to pray for you but if you'd like me to I will and she said yes and I prayed for her and we both wept together and you know I might not have changed her life 
But I believe I changed that moment in her life, and I don't think she'll forget that. I'm sure she won't. Yeah. On Open House, we're with Trish Jenkins, author of Treasures of Darkness, the freedom that I spoke of before. How do you think that that was evident in your life, even in the midst of your custody? I just kept praying. The best prayer I pray, and I do it constantly, is, Lord, show me your perspective. And I had plenty of times to um, forgive some of the women and even some of the officers when, who, were, who were pretty horrible. And I would just, oh, it was just awful. And I would just say, God, show me your perspective of that dreadful woman because I have no compassion for her right now. And he would show me that woman in a different light. And my heart would just soften up again and I would pray for her in my, not directly for her, but in my prayer time. And I would be free of any bitterness and feelings of, of injustice and so on because I was there for a bigger purpose. Yeah. Just saying, God, show me your perspective. One day you're going to do something with this. I had no idea what, but I knew that he could turn it around if I went through it with a good attitude and trusting that, that he can turn it around. After you made it out and achieved literal freedom, how was that experience? Well, you know, while I was inside, I used to say the worst day outside is still better than the best day inside. And the funny thing was, when I got out, it was difficult. I had been holding it together for so long and I came home and uh, I had to deal with issues with children and family and my own emotions being out of order. And uh, I, was, I was damaged and I really had to... I got some counsel, I got, I got some deliverance. Uh, just in case. I wanted to make sure I hadn't picked up anything that, you know, because you're sleeping in beds where there have been murderers and all sorts of things. And my family were wonderful. Uh, but it took some time. It took, you know, prayer and, and I was frightened to go back to church just in case people would look down on me. And when I went there, they just embraced me. And, uh, you know, that's the gospel. Yes. That's the gospel. I was still frightened. I was a little bit afraid of, you know, meeting people again. And, and that took time. Yeah. But uh, and every now and again, I do meet people who um, who might feel a bit judgmental or a bit superior. And but I can handle that now. And I think it's not what because I used to, you know, crave approval and people pleasing. But God has shown me that it's His opinion that matters, and that I've got nothing to be ashamed of anymore. What did it teach you about yourself? Do you think, and also about God that you experienced through that time? It's about having that perspective that God has a plan for your life that is not necessarily about building wealth and doing stuff. It is very much about your relationship with him and that we need to keep our mind and our heart soft before him. It's not just, oh, God's going to do all this or... I'm in control, um, we, we don't actually say it out loud, but we think I'm going to achieve what God wants for my life by setting these goals and doing this, this and this. Okay. Now, I had to grow and, and learn to trust God and let it coast and let this, it's like a wave that, that is rising and I would not be doing what I'm doing now if I had not gone through that adversity. Because it frees you from a lot of stuff, as you say. Well, it does. I don't fear loss anymore. Uh, you know, a house is just a house. Food is just food. You know, we, if you're not going to starve, then don't fret about money. You know, we, we place too much importance on, on uh, outward achievements and being admired and 
building wealth and, and we say it's for the kingdom but really we're posing very often and, and we sort of mask it with this religiosity. Yes. Now I, I have no problem with wealth creation. I'm, I'm building a business and uh, I'm you know investing again and doing that sort of thing but it's not an idol and the thing is anything that's an idol God will kick it over. <laughs> he just will. So you better have the guts. If you think that you're going to be someone successful you must always be prepared to let it go whatever it might be and how's life today you know i am loving my life now it's it it still takes courage you know it takes courage to go on the radio it takes courage to go into the newspaper and, and trust that what's written about you will not be too awful but it will it will serve its purpose um you know i'm not making lots of money yet and and that's fine but my message is more important than my pride you know the the feeling of being effective and making a difference is far more satisfying than anything that's material. You know, my children are healed and uh, we deal with that and I constantly reframe with them when they bring it up again. I constantly remind them of the good that's coming out of it and, and that's what I do with myself and take my eyes off myself. And uh, quite often our anxieties come about from focusing on self and you start serving other people and people who are less privileged than you are you start feeling grateful and satisfied in the serving i think you've delivered a very powerful message across australia trish jenkins thank you so much indeed for joining us on open house trish is the author of treasures of darkness it's been great to talk lovely lee thanks we hope you enjoyed this open house podcast thanks to christian super and real world technology solutions to hear more from open house visit openhousecommunity.com.au